This is Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, on the campus of East Tennessee State University, and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia, on the campus of Emory and Henry College. Religion for Life uh, talks about all kinds of things, religion from a variety of perspectives. I happen to be a Christian minister. I'm the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find more information about our church at www.fpcelizabethton.org. Hi, my name is John Sheck, and I have a true confession. When I was a kid, about 10 years old, I remember sitting at home on the farm in Whitehall, Montana, waiting for my parents to return. I was all alone. And I had thought, because my parents were late, that the rapture had come, and I had missed it. And they all were going to heaven, but I would be left behind. And I remember, it's kind of lonely out there on the farm, not a lot, a whole lot of people around, and I looked out, and there was my neighbor in his tractor in the field, But that didn't give me too much comfort because, well, he was pretty much a sinner and he'd probably left behind too. And and so that was my belief growing up, that uh, this world was bad and it was going to be wiped out pretty soon, Tuesday, maybe next Thursday, at any time, you never know, a thief in the night, and uh, a new kingdom would come in and uh, and the rapture would happen, all true believers would go. And there are various uh, stories about that, but uh, it was always ever-present that this idea that this world was in bad shape and it was going to be overthrown very soon. And now we are in the midst of 2012. And at the end of 2012, according to the Mayan calendar, it's, it's, uh, it all breaks loose, right? That's, that's the story. That's the, that's the New Age apocalypse meme. Every time you go to the movies, we see previews of films that of aliens attacking us or some kind of post-apocalyptic dystopia. I tell you, we are panicky. We are afraid of of, uh, this world. Well, maybe we we ought to be. But uh, the solution of some kind of dramatic end and a fantasy new world is really pretty much a fantasy. Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck, and I'm speaking on the phone with John Michael Greer. He's the author of the new book called Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012, Nostradamus, and the Rapture is Wrong. And uh, Mr. Greer, welcome to Religion for Life. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, earlier this year on this program, my guest was Carol Delaney, a uh, cultural historian formerly of Stanford University and now as mm-hmm. a research scholar at Brown, and, and she published a book on Columbus called Columbus and the Quest for Jerusalem, and mm-hmm. she discovered that uh, the reason Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 was to get money, basically, to fund a crusade to take back Jerusalem from mm-hmm. the Muslims, and this would mm-hmm. set the stage for the return of Jesus Christ and the arrival of the kingdom of God. Uh, he saw himself as instrumental in bringing on the apocalypse. That was his motivation. And so, and to use a phrase from your book, uh, Columbus was motivated perhaps by the apocalypse meme. Very much so. And could you explain for us uh, the apocalypse meme and, and how you came to write this book? 
Okay, well, basically a meme, to, uh, the term is Richard Dawkins originally, is a set of ideas that propagates itself through a human community in roughly the same way that a gene propagates itself through, the, through a gene pool. It, it, there's a Darwinian selection process. Um, memes that are good at spreading themselves, in effect, become popular, spread in various different contexts. You can also think of it as the way that a cold goes through a community. One person sneezes, then it's ten more, and so on. Um, there, there's a lot, been a lot of debate about meme theory, how widely it applies, and so on. But certainly, the idea of apocalypse, the idea that sometime really soon, the world as we know it, with all of its frustrations and annoyances and irritating details, is going to go away in a puff of smoke and be replaced by whatever your fondest daydream happens to be, is a classic meme. It can be applied to almost any context, religious, secular, you name it, and it, it, it makes people very enthusiastic. People get very, very energized by this thought that all of a sudden everything the, that they don't like about the world is going to disappear. But there's one other consistent thing about the apocalypse meme, which is that it is always wrong. Right. When people predict the end of the world, they're basically putting themselves in Harold Camping's shoes, and we saw how that turned out. Mm -hmm. my, my motivation for writing the book was simply that we're moving into a real doozy along those lines, which is, of course, the whole business about December 21st, 2012, that's been getting so much airtime of late. And that's the, the from the 2012 Mayan calendar. You know, I keep thinking this thing is kind of a joke, uh, Do you, but you find people really <laughs> thinking that some kind of end is coming in oh, 2012. Mm -hmm. I get, um, in, in, in my blog, which discusses issues surrounding the future, I got a whole flurry of stuff early on before, before my views became more widely known, saying, well, we don't have to worry about that because the Space Brothers are going to come in 2012, or there's going to be a great transformation of consciousness in 2012, or the, or the Earth is going to get whacked by a comet in 2012 and then it won't matter to anybody. Or, you know, there were many different versions, but all of it was based on the idea that we don't have to worry about the future. The future is already taken care of and everything we don't like about it is going away. So what, uh, and you talk about the, the Mayan calendar in your book. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how that, how that date came about? Well, basically, it, it is a rollover date in the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar is complex. It has various different cycles that are all turning at the same time. And one of the large cycles rolls over on that date. There are, uh, people talk about there are these Mayan prophecies of doom or what have you. There aren't. There are absolutely none. The Mayans reference the date once on one uh, stela in one relatively obscure site, and they don't make a big deal of it. What happened was that... Um, Terence McKenna, one of the one of the psychedelic um, prophets of the 1960s, had a drug vision that that he interpreted as meaning that time was going to come to a stop, and for complex reasons, he dated that toward the end of, of 2012. Um, and then Jose Arguelles, the, who was who was a very a leading New Age figure in the New Age movement, ended up coming up with this idea that oh, it's the Mayan calendar. We're going to have this amazing transformation of consciousness, or what have you. Um, various people that define it in various ways. But it was basically invented out of whole cloth. And so the, the, the idea of, of, of all of these things kind of coalescing around this mm -hmm. date, mm -hmm. uh, but it, what it does is just further this meme. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, one option, it could be the year 2000, when that turned over, people got all excited yeah, about I, that, I, too. You remember the Y2K non-crisis, which was, by the way, one of the most successful sales programs for, for computer technology in, in the history of the industry. But beyond that, it doesn't seem to have done much.
If you're joining us, uh, my name is uh, John Schuck. This program is Religion for Life, and my guest is John Michael Greer, author of Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012, Nostradamus, and The Rapture is Wrong. You suggest that uh, the apocalypse meme, as I'm understanding this from your book, started with the, the Zoroastrians and the invention of monotheism. Uh, if there's only one God who's all good and powerful, then you have the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. uh, why is there suffering, death taxes, stupid people, traffic jams? It's because there's evil, right, in control. Mm -hmm, exactly. And one day, God's going to make it all better, mm -hmm. destroy what's evil, and create a utopia. Is that the... And actually start behaving the way that the classic monotheist idea says he ought to have been behaving all along. It's, it's a complicated religious issue. But it's, it's simply that, um, as far as the idea that it originated with Zarathustra, he's simply the first figure in, in religious history who seems to have come up with this idea. Back um, further in history, or for getting into prehistory there, there are traces of beliefs of, of historical cycles, um, maybe tied to the cycles of the heavens or what have you, but not the idea of a sudden stop after which everything is good. Whatever good happens to be, by the way, it can be peace and love and unity, it can be blazing away at full auto on advancing hordes of zombies, again, whatever your daydream happens to be. And it was through uh, the influence there of Zarathustra uh, mm -hmm. that this meme was established uh, in Judaism and in Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us how that happened? Well, basically, there's no trace of, of apocalyptic teaching among the Jews until after the Babylonian captivity. And the people who liberated um, the, the Jews from their Babylonian captivity sent them back to Judea, and, and they, in which they were a part of the Persian Empire. It was the Persians who were Zoroastrians. And so the Jews absorbed a lot of elements of Persian and culture and of Zoroastrian religion during and after that process. It's at that point we start getting the idea of a messiah. It's at that point we start getting the idea of, of this vast apocalyptic thing, history um, redefined as a, as, a set, as a conflict between powers of good and powers of evil. Zarathustra was there long before anyone else. Once it got well established within Judaism, of course, um, well, we know where Christianity came out of. Um, and so it was picked up by the by the founders, the, the various people who developed Christian, uh, the, the Christian way of thinking about religion, and has just kind of run barefoot through Western history ever since. So really throughout uh, Christian history, there have been apocalyptic movements uh, from the very beginning, oh, haven't there? Oh, from, from, from as far back as, as there are any detailed records, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the first couple of centuries of Christianity, most of what we know is who is being thrown to what wild animals. But the idea that, um, that, that the second coming was going to occur any day now, the, the, I think it was the Montanists who were claiming in the third century that the New Jerusalem had actually been seen hovering in the air about to descend, and therefore you know, the second coming could be expected moment by moment. It's been, there, have been, there have been herald campings, if you will, um, by, by the truckload throughout Christian history, about you know, every, every decade or so you get somebody. And the apocalypse meme also has a, a secular expression. Uh, you include in your book that uh, Marxism is an example. Oh, oh Marxism, Marxism is, simply, is simply one end of the spectrum of, of Christian religious thought. If you, if you take the basic ideas of Marxism, you've got, um, you've, you've got the Garden of Eden, which is primitive communism. You have the fall, the discovery of private property. You have the various dispensations, uh, you know, of the fifth. Feudalism and um, the early industrialism and so on, the redeeming revelation, the final battle between good and evil, and the descent of the new Jerusalem of, co of communism after which everything is perfect forever. It doesn't work in practice. But the reason that it was so popular is precisely that it cops a lot of the ideas of popular religion 
morphs them into a secular mode that, that, that appeals to people who think they don't believe in God anymore, and, and away you go. So any kind of almost utopian thought that, uh-huh. uh, that comes dramatically, uh, uh-huh. it really is all part of this apocalyptic meme. It's usually a rephrasing of religious apocalyptic ideas under a very thin coat of secular spray paint. My guest is John Michael Greer, author of Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012, Nostradamus and the Rapture is Wrong. He's also the author of uh, a number of books, about 20 or so, on various topics. Uh, some of his nonfiction books, the most recent ones, are The Long Descent, A User's Guide to the End of the Industrial Age, The Ecotechnic Future, Exploring a Post-Peak World, and The Wealth of Nature, Economics as if Survival Mattered. Um, You've you've write about on your blog the Arch Druid report mm-hmm. about the peak oil movement um, mm-hmm. th- that that point in, in in time which maybe even now in which the uh, the rate of oil production uh, peaks and doesn't get any higher and will go into a descent um, and it seems that you're kind of walking a line between educating people to prepare for our global industrial society hitting its limits on one hand and then not infecting them with the apocalyptic meme on mm-hmm. the other. Well, basically, the thing, the, the thing that has to be understood is that outrunning our resource base is something that civilizations do all the time. It's old hat. Uh-huh. It's not an end to history. It's simply a continuation of history as normal. Um, I do have to correct you about one thing, though, in terms of the date of peak oil. That, was, that happened in 2005. That yeah. was the peak of conventional oil production. All of the, the stuff that's been brought online to keep the decline from happening since then has been scraping the bottom of the barrel, and it involves some very tricky accounting that makes it look as though we have more energy to spare than we do. So we're, we're, we're into peak oil now. That's one of the reasons why nobody can figure out why the global economy is malfunctioning. Everything they try just backfires because what's wrong isn't the money system. What's wrong is that as our avow- amount of available energy declines, our ability to produce actual wealth, real goods and services, not pieces of paper, that declines too. Until um, economists and governmental officials and so on grapple with that, grapple with the contraction of the real economy, and not just by spinning the presses and producing more paper, we're going to have economic dysfunctions. And so we've uh, really reached uh, this peak of rate uh, for about six years so far. Now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, been, it's been unfolding for, yeah, since, since halfway through the last decade. And at this point, existing conventional oil production is decreasing at about 4% per year. And so, so it's becoming an increasingly challenge, increasingly a challenge to fill in the gaps with, with you know, stuff scraped from the bottom of the barrel, as I described. The kind of one of the biggest issues that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and so on the other hand, so in fact, in Long Descent, I want to go back to Apocalypse Not, but I want to take a mm-hmm. detour for this sure. other book, The Long Descent, because there you talk about two mythologies that mm-hmm. kind of define uh, our human uh, understanding. One is the apocalypse, that everything's mm-hmm. going to end and we've got to go out and, you know, get our guns and go to Montana. And then mm-hmm. on the other end is, well, no, we're headed toward uh, a, a Jetson's future, that we'll just the, find another magic source and move on. The mythology of progress, which is actually another version, a stripped-down version of the apocalypse meme. It's just there isn't the sudden explosion into um, blessedness. We just have to hang on there. If we keep on going the way we're going, you know, we have this glorious future out there among you metastasizing across the galaxy in some Star Trek future. It's all the same thing, the idea that history doesn't apply to us. But the myth of progress is it's the established religion of our society. 
I mean, everybody, practically everybody, except for people in, in a small number of religious contexts and a few other skeptics kind of out on the fringes. Everybody believes that newer ideas are better than older ideas. Newer technologies are better than older technologies just because they're newer. You know, everything progresses, everything gets better over time. It's a religious belief. And we place in that religion, and we, we meaning here Americans and other people in the industrial, we place in that religion of progress the same kinds of hopes, the same kind of fantasies, the same kind of, of emotional energy that people 500 or 1,000 years ago placed in, say, Christianity. And you know, it is, it is our hope of salvation. Yeah, and the big heresy to that is mm -hmm. to suggest, well, wait a second, uh, that may not be the case. <laughs> Trying to tell that to a believer in progress is like trying to convince a medieval peasant that heaven with God and the angels and saints and all isn't there anymore. You get you, you get a brick wall of absolute denial. No, no, no. The, the, the glorious heaven of progress must be waiting for us if we just if we just find some new energy source or I, I quote I'm sure they'll come up with something unquote. I think that's the the, the current equivalent of a hail mary. <laughs> well, that's what I hear a lot too. And oh, now, yeah. and now we have in popular culture fundamentalist Christianity. We have the Mayans with the New Age folks, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then the fundamentalist Christianity has the Rapture, which yeah, is an rapture, invention yeah. uh, in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. But um, a significant percentage of Americans, in fact, think that Jesus Christ will return uh, mm -hmm. in their own lifetimes. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, that number is high. It's like 40 percent, or perhaps it's, it's very high. It's 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 a marker of the degree of panic in our culture, the fact that people are aware that, there's, that something is very wrong. Things have gone wrong. The, the things that we think should fix the world are not fixing the world. They're actually making things worse. And so this, this craving for an end to history, this craving for a, a way out of, the results of, our, of, of dealing with the results of our own actions is very powerful. The thing that worries me is that the rapture thing is basically a lightly disguised fantasy of mass suicide. Yes. I mean, if, if, you, if, if you hear somebody say, Grandma's gone to, gone to heaven to be with Jesus, most people know what that means. You, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering, thinking about why people are susceptible to apocalypticism, mm -hmm. and, the, and the explanations are economic struggle and oppression are offered, mm -hmm. and, and those might be, um, it seems to me that those aren't really the reasons, but they may yeah. exacerbate the reason. I wonder if it comes down to people being dissatisfied with their own mortality. I mean, if, uh, mm -hmm. if the party's going on without me, I don't want that to happen. I'm going to end the party. You want to end the party. Yeah, it's the, the, I think that's very likely part of it. It's it's our sense of our own mortality. It's, a, it's our sense of, I think especially now, it's the sense that our actions have created a future that we don't want to live with. And that all these things, that we've, all the justifications that we've made, all the arguments that we've made to try to convince ourselves that, no, 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 it's, it's perfectly okay for us to run up vast debts, run down the, the, in the economy, run down our infrastructure, trash the environment, as though there was no tomorrow. Now that tomorrow's breathing down our neck, a lot of people are starting to go, I want out of this. I don't want to deal with the consequences of my own actions. I don't want to face what I've done. And so the idea that Jesus will come and make it all better, or that the Space Brothers will show up, or the, the Singularity, or any of the other apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic fantasies, that, that you know, we don't have to deal with what we've done. 
My guest on Religion for Life is John Michael Greer. His uh, book is called Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012, Nostradamus and the Rapture is Wrong. Uh, even our political leaders sometimes are susceptible to this kind of apocalyptic belief. What, wasn't it James Watt uh, who, who was talking <laughs> yeah. about how he, the idea we, of the environment we and we didn't need to because Jesus is coming? Or? Yes, we don't, have to, we don't have to take care of the environment because Jesus is coming any day now, and, and that will take care of that. That's exactly that sort of, ration, of, of, of reasoning, if you can call it reasoning. And you'll notice that there again, he was wrong. And the things that he, the things that he did, the things that the Reagan administration did uh, to, to to trash the environment, have left us in a more impoverished world, and has left you know a Watt's own. I don't know if he had children or anything, but if he did, his own descendants are experiencing a lower quality of life because of what he did. And this, in a sense, is really a spiritual issue of what makes us a human being. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that's where I want to lead to this next topic, if you'll go there with me. And mm -hmm. tell me about uh, Druidry. Uh, you, uh, your, your blog is called Arch it's Druid. It's called the Arch Druid Report. Yeah. Tell me about, uh, I, I would imagine that my listeners probably don't know a whole lot about Druidry. And what, uh, can you tell me what, what it is and what oh, you yeah. do and how that might be a helpful spiritual expression in, in dealing with some of the things well, we're they, facing? Basically, about um, getting on for 300 years ago, in the, in the early 18th century, there were a number of, of uh, small movements of British, well, British eccentrics, you might as well say, who were looking at the orthodox religion of their time and the orthodox scientific materialism of their time and the, the cost and the burden and the human cost of the Industrial Revolution, which was getting, getting going in those days, which both religious and scientific authorities cheerleaded for, by the way. And they said, you know, there's got to be another option. And the option that some of them came up with was a spirituality of nature, which was partly inspired by what little is known about the teachings of the ancient Celtic Druids. And it was out of that that the modern Druid movement emerged. You had these various, originally very small groups. We're still not a large spiritual movement. There's maybe, there may be two million of us in the world. And... But it's, it's, it's nature spirituality. It's based on the recognition that you know, if we live and move and have our being in anything, nature is as good a description of it as anything else. And that nature is the touchstone for issues of basic value, issues of meaning. Um, it, it is a very diverse movement. There are many different organizations, most of them quite small. There are many different traditions, traditional rituals, and so on. But I think it would be fair to say that um, pretty much all Druids celebrate this, the, the cycle of the seasons in various ways. There are, there are different, different ways of structuring that in terms of rituals, but the solstices and the equinoxes usually fall in there um, as important elements. I think it would be fair to say that pretty much all Druids practice meditation as a way of attuning ourselves toward nature, including our own nature. I mean, human, human nature is also part of nature. And, and developing spiritually. And I, I think you'll find that um, pretty much all Druids um, make, make a serious effort to lighten the load they place on the biosphere, to put things in ecological terms, to live a little more gently on the earth and not, not, not treat nature as just a, a source of raw materials and a dumping ground for waste. What I found attractive is the uh, the earth-based notion that mm -hmm. it's about you know, doing uh, the rituals and the activity of being aware, really, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you know how, of earth. And yeah, it, we we do participate in nature at every single moment. Most of us just pretend that we don't and, and try not to notice our complete dependence on natural cycles. In, in druidry, we just we, we try to pay attention to that and to say to say the occasional thank you. 
I like that to say the occasional thank you. I want to, you you do mention magic. Can you tell me a little bit about magic? The art and science of causing change in consciousness in accordance with will. That was the definition used by Dion Fortune, who was one of the major theorists and practitioners of magic. It's you know, it's, it, we're not talking Harry Potter here. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's the confusion, isn't you it? You can wave a piece of wood and and, and babble ungrammatical Latin all you want to, and you're not going to cause you know lightning bolts to zap from the end of a wand or some nonsense like that. But um, emotionally charged symbols and ritual psychodrama can have very powerful effects on consciousness, and through affecting consciousness, can affect our daily lives in, in various creative ways. That's what magic is about. There's nothing supernatural in it. I think you'll find most druids will say there's nothing that's actually supernatural as an outside of nature anywhere. Yeah, it's all, it's all about uh, being able to be connected with really what is real. With what is real, which is not the theoretical products of our own heads, but the actual experiential realities of our existence. I quoted from your book in a recent sermon, and I, I, you wrote, uh, there's at least a chance that the upcoming failure of the 2012 prophecy might encourage people to take a hard and skeptical look at the apocalypse meme itself to recognize that longing for the annihilation of most of humanity has no place in an authentic spirituality and accept that our happiness as human beings depends on how we choose to live our lives here and now in this beautiful world on which we each dance for so brief and precious a time. I, I like that quote and that Thank sentiment you. very much. Thank you. My guest is John Michael Greer. He's the author of Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012 Nostradamus and the Rapture is Wrong. Do you think reason is going to help? Um, well, it depends. It, that's a choice that each of us can, has to make individually. It's not something that can be done on mass. And it purely depends on you know, what each of us chooses to do. Do we choose to respond to the world in a reasoned and compassionate manner, or do we go chasing after self-destructive daydreams? Up to you. There you go. John Michael Greer, my guest, thank you for being with me on Religion for Life. Do check out his website, The Arch Druid Report, and, uh, and, and his books, and including his latest, Apocalypse Not. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find more information about our congregation at fpcelizabethton.org. And come and visit us before the world ends, okay? Our Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and uh, WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. You can find more information about upcoming programs on Religion for Life at religionforlife.me. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Be well.